Looking for the perfect gift this season? Want to avoid the malls and lines this year? Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how, for only $49.99, you can get my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code BONES in the search bar. That's 77% off. For less than $50, you get two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, a 12-ounce package of all-beef meatballs, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha Steak seasoning packet, plus get four additional kielbasa sausages free. All of this for less than $50. If you're looking for convenient and quick shopping for those on your list, go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code BONES in the search bar, add the family gift pack to your cart, and get a 77% savings. It's the gift guaranteed to be a hit. All right, welcome to episode 25 of the Bobbycast. All right, and today with songwriter... Lee Thomas Miller, known to his friends as Lee Miller, but I guess Lee Miller was too generic. You had to put Thomas so they would know. My mother never, ever called me Lee. She called me Lee Thomas, one word. Oh, so should I call you Lee Thomas? If you had ever met my mother, you would call me Lee Thomas without realizing it, because she always did. Oh, I see, when I would Google Lee Miller, it was always like ancient Civil War heroes or some guy that was in three episodes of Jurassic Park, the cartoon. You know, it's a, Some famous British photographer lady, too. I want to play a few just before we get started so we can uh, have an idea. Here's some of the songs, and we'll get to them during the conversation uh, that Lee has written. Do you know how, before I say it, do you know how many number ones you've written? Seven. Okay. Is that true, Mike? Is that the fact check? Yeah, seven. All right, seven. Okay, so, for example... It's going to be fact checking. This oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have lots of fact checks. Like a couple of kids just trying in Color to by Jamie Johnson. You should have seen it in color. Southern Girl, Tim McGraw. You're gonna miss this. You're gonna miss this. You're gonna want this back. You're gonna wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. Just a few of the songs that Lee has written. Also, The World by Brad Paisley. Perfect Storm. I'm still a guy. But remember, I'm still a guy. And I'll pour out my All right, so you have quite the library of songs there. I like to start by letting people know the big picture first. Okay. So when you first came to Nashville, you came to Nashville, true or false, to, because your goal was to play in Alabama. <laughs> no, I tell this story, and they always retell it wrong. I, I always say I wanted to be in whatever the next Alabama type thing was, because they were my heroes. I what was up, the Alabama type thing? You mean a band? A band, and you know they were cool, and, and there was a guy on the end that played a bunch of instruments. I wanted to be the guy in the modern version of Alabama, whatever it was, that had all the instruments set up and played a little bit of this and played a little bit of that. And 
that was that was the goal. So your goal is never to be the front man of the even the new Alabama. No, you want to be the utility player. I always want to be the utility player. So you came, to but town. I wanted to be in in a, you know, in in a traveling signed band like the Eagles or something like that. Whatever, but what you know, whatever it was. I mean, in the eighties, the early eighties, you know, I'm I'm just Alabama made me want to to be in the business, and so that's why the Alabama reference keeps popping up. So, okay, so you did not want to be in Alabama, but you wanted to be in something like Alabama. Exactly. Okay. I, I did you try? Did you have a band like Alabama? I mean, did you have a band oh, called from High the School Kentucky on, Brothers? Or? From high school, from the time I was in middle school, there was a some incarnation of of dudes that could or couldn't play in my parents' living room, trying to learn how to be. Yeah. So you you moved to Nashville wanting to be the person on stage. Were you not good enough? Well. You know, back home in Kentucky, I was pretty good. <laughs> you, know, you know, and and you grow up in these these bars, and and uh, especially when you're young and you can kind of play different instruments, people say, "Oh, you're fantastic," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm fantastic." But you know, I think in high school, I, I made my first visit to Nashville, and uh, and Nashville was a lot different then. There weren't near as many honky tonks as there are now, but there would be kind of local clubs where you know the, the people that had moved to town trying to trying to get heard, would go play. And I remember I would go and I would, and at the time, you know, I, I went on to, to music school. I was classically trained. But through these years, while I'm trying to figure out how to be a better musician, I would come here and I would go in these clubs and I would sit there and I would listen to these guys that weren't working. They were trying to get gigs. And I would sit there and go, ah, you know. Because they were so they good. They were so good. Yeah. They were so freakishly good on every instrument, whatever it was, whatever they said and did, it was just like, Hmm, and and this guy is unemployed here. Back where I'm from, this guy would be, you know, the a legend, King Dingling, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. You know, um, but so you know, I, I didn't come here with any, you know, false hopes. I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into. So you move to town, and you get into kind of a band playing fiddle, and they fire you. Is that true? <laughs> well, so I look at whatever I played at the time, and I said, okay. Certainly, guitar players are a dime a dozen in this town. And but at that point, piano was my first instrument. But I really felt like, as far as you know, I probably wasn't ever going to be up to par with these guys. So I said, "Okay, I'll be a fiddle player." So that became my all my focus. And uh, and so I moved here, and I moved here on June first. And two weeks later, uh, I'd already met somebody. They got me an audition for Tom T. Hall. And so I walked into the audition. Um, Tom wasn't there. It was a band leader. And uh, I auditioned for Tom T. Hall. And the guy hired me. And uh, there were two fiddle players. And so I get the, the job playing one. He asked me to come back and run through the whole set with the second guy. And so I went back. And, and the other guy had been there for a while. So I, I, in my second audition, I'm now playing all of the music with the second chair. And, okay, good, you're good, you're hard. We leave Saturday. So July 3rd, I get on the bus as Tom T. Hall's fiddle player. And we did two dates. And on July 5th, he fired me. <laughs> so why did he fire you? 
what did they say to you? Because that's a, he didn't even give you a chance. Like, well, so so we get on the bus and we drive to Homestead, Florida. Well, I've never been on a bus. You know, so I'm 21, I guess. And um, I get on the bus and it's like seasoned musicians. Tom's not there. And Tom was from about 70 miles in Kentucky for where I'm from. So I'm thinking, first of all, I've got the Kentucky thing in my back pocket. I'm going to woo him. He's going to love me, you know. So we get on the bus to go to Florida, and, and there's no Tom. It's just the band. And so I, I meet the band. And, well, these guys were seasoned road guys. And they really weren't all into the new guy, right? And so I didn't really have a friend. And so we drive to the other side of the world, and we get there, and there's no Tom. We do sound check, and there's no Tom. And when I come back, Tom has arrived. And so I introduce myself to Tom. Well, Tom's kind of – Tom isn't a real people person. Tom isn't a chatter. And I – Told him who I was. I told him where I was from. And he just kind of looked through me, said nothing. And that was that. And, okay, so now I'm nervous. And so the band leader started getting anxious because he realized he had hired me. Nobody else had heard me. What if I mess up? And the Tom T. Hall gig was pretty fiddle heavy. And so he starts saying, hey, man, it's kind of my gig here. You know, it's my butt. Don't, uh, don't mess this up. Okay, okay. So this went on kind of for six hours. We do the first gig, and I rush over to him, and I'm like, how'd I do? And he says, ah, monitors weren't very good. I couldn't hear you. I'll have to listen tomorrow. So we go from there to North Carolina, and and he just wants, he's like, man, he says, I just, you know, you got to do that, man. You got to be great, man. You got to be, you got to be. And it just got in my head, and, and we get ready to kick off the show, and I'm trembly. And I'm nervous. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom T. Hall. And the worst fiddle player in America shows up. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely. And, the, and matter of fact, this, the, the guy that was playing with me is going, what's wrong? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and it, it just, it was like a cat fight. And it just kept getting worse. And I'm, I'm pa- like a little anxiety attack, a little panic attack. And the more I played, the worse I got. And that was it. They didn't see enough in you, though, to try again. Fired me. <laughs> Fired me. I mean, I've had some people come work for me that I'm like, you know what? You're not that good now, but I see a lot in you. There's a lot of potential. Fired me, and it was about five or six years ago before I ever saw Tom T. Hall again. And, and we were at some function, and I went up to him, and I said, Mr. Hall, I'm Lee Miller. I played fiddle for you for three days in 1991, and you fired me. And he says, what happened? And I said, I, I, I wasn't ready. And he was kind of like, he, he was kind of like, are you, are you mad at me? And I'm like, no, no, no. It was the greatest thing that ever happened. It changed my path. Can I have a picture? So that's where it that, that was my welcome to Nashville, kid. So your path has changed because your confidence is broken. <laughs> You're now the broken stallion. Sure. And so you, do you put it in your head? Okay, I'm just going to write. I'm staying in town, but I'm going to write. No, no, I I, uh, I bared down. I was like, let's 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 get on with it. So, you know, I'm the guy that rehearsed or practiced 15 hours a day. I mean, I, I just I played and practiced and practiced and took lessons and practiced and and did more auditions and you know did local gigs, road gigs with touring bands and did whatever. So I had you to stayed do. on the road and played instruments. Not with anybody you would know, just with bar bands, but whoever, I mean, I had to pay bills, sure. so, so I would do, and, and again, I was the utility guy, so I would, I would play everything, you know, and I had tons of gear, and I would do whatever, and uh, somebody heard me and put me with a uh, a producer, was had this duo, and made it a trio, and they wanted to try to get a record deal, 
And uh, that was Sugarland. <laughs> well, it wasn't. No, it never got to Sugarland level. But what it is, we started writing songs every day, and uh, and writing the project, and then auditioning for labels and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, that got me writing on Music Row, and I met more people. And music in the '90s was huge. Music Row was amazing. There were so many record companies, and so many records being made, and so many publishers and writing, you know, signing lots of writers. And and the key was I started writing with Music Row guys, and people were giving me a chance. And uh, in 96, a guy named Jeff Carlton ran this big independent company. And uh, a buddy of mine had got me in there writing with some of their guys. And um, he said, he said, I don't think, I don't think you, you can do any of this other stuff. He said, I think you could be a full-time songwriter. I said, okay, done. And he signed me. So you signed to be a full-time songwriter. How long from that day until you got your first cut? Um, the first cut was probably, I don't know, within a couple of years. I mean, that, that, this company was really great. The people that were mentoring me were really great. And um, we, we, the whole key was, first of all, I have to be writing in the ballpark of what's working. You know, that's what's legitimately commercial music. Then you got to have somebody that can legitimately get it listened to. And that's where they came in, and they could. So, so you would get good listens immediately. And, um, you know, there were several cuts that came pretty quick. It took a while to have a hit. But, uh, you know, you got to have the cut before you can have a hit. First hit was? First bona fide hit was The Impossible with Joe Nichols. Unsinkable ships sink. Unbreakable walls break. Sometimes the things you think never happen. Just like that unbendable speed. So you write the song. Who'd you write it with? Kelly Lovelace. So you guys write this. Is this one of those where they say, oh, you knew the magic was there as soon as you wrote the song? So Kelly Lovelace, it was a blind date. I didn't know him. He didn't know me. Publishers put us in a room together. And uh, we wrote this song. And I did the demo on the song. And turned it in. Which means you sang it and the, the demos. No, no, no. I heard, I heard a guy sing it. Oh, you heard um, something else? Yeah. Okay. Unsinkable ships. And uh, we turn it in. And everybody just kind of said, that's nice. And I don't know how much it was pitched. It wasn't pitched much. And so I'd even gone to RCA because I had a friend that was an A&R. And I took it to him. And the only person I ever knew that loved it was this A&R guy. And he, he held it and... For a few weeks and played it for people at the label, and then one day he called me and said, uh, "I've played it for everybody here, everybody we have on the roster. Everyone's passed, so I'm going to have to let it go." And this song was never mentioned for maybe eight or nine more months. So it just disappears into song purgatory. Well, you know, here's the thing: there's everyone's excited about the new songs, so. They love it, and they go. You, you pitch it to everybody that's looking today, and in a couple of weeks, there's a new batch of songs, and and the publishers are pitching those songs, and uh, it just kind of got buried. And I mean, honestly, I don't think that the publishers were that excited about it. So then, how does it get refound and reused again? Well, this one got lucky because uh, Kelly's publisher was a big publisher at the time, and uh, <laughs> people this. This song's meant a lot to a lot of people, and, and people will say this must have been undeniable. And I say, oh, are you kidding me? It was quite deniable. Um, it was kind of 
over in this B drawer at their publishing company um, to the point that there was a guy named Brent Rowan that was cutting sides on this young guy who had already lost one record deal named Joe Nichols. And he asked somebody at EMI for some songs just so they could maybe do some demos. And this is one of the songs that they let him have just to cut sides on somebody that had already lost one record deal. This was way down the food chain, right? And so they went and, and did a real low-budget uh, demo and then called and said, hey, so they really like this song. And uh, and I'm like, well, who is it? And so they tell me, and it was so far removed from, you know, actually even a record deal. I'm like, okay, well, thanks. And then they said, okay, we think there's going to be a new record label. The guy that, that had made Arista Records famous and signed tons of people, he's Tim Dubois, responsible for all these major acts, is doing we think is going to have a, a new record label with Tony Brown, who's one of the biggest producers in Nashville history. They're going to do partners. We think they're going to have a label, and if they do, we think they're going to sign Joe Nichols, and we think they like your song. It's a lot of things to have to well, fall into no, place. No, you don't even, you don't even, you know, as somebody said, you, you know, it's it's a single for an artist that hasn't been signed to a record label that it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. So, so, no, we thought nothing about this. And then, honestly, it comes out. And you're like, okay, well, right before it comes out, Mark Chestnut cuts it. And he was on Sony, and it was still Mark Chestnut, you know? And I'm like, woohoo, this is, this is a big cut. And, and my publisher said, well, we promised it to Joe Nichols. And I said, Joe Nichols doesn't even have a record deal. <laughs> and it's, it's a relationship town. And, 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 and Tim Dubois, who's one of all of our heroes, he had actually come to my publisher and said, you can't take this song away from me. You promised it to me. And, and I'm sitting there going, you all have all lost your mind. I said, we don't even know if this, this guy has a record deal, you know? And they said, well, we're going to have to honor it. So then, okay. And so we just waited to see. Okay, well, the word came. There is a record label. There is a record deal. He actually, they're going to try to put this out. And, uh, and and there was it was that day that I'm like you know what I don't know anything about the music business and and I remember I'd had a song on a, a Blackhawk that I really loved called Days of America and it had gone to 33. How do you have that queued up that fast? Don't worry about it. Are you that good? Don't worry about what we got over here. That's unbelievable. So as you were saying, Blackhawk, Days of America, and. And we were so pumped because this was kind of my tribute to 9-11. That's what we, that's what we wrote after 9-11, and, and I love this record. And, and I remember they did it at halftime of the Titans-Steelers game in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and I'd actually gone up there to see this happen. It was a big deal. And then it stopped at 33, and I'm like, it was disappointing, but it was the biggest record I'd ever had. And so Impossible comes out, and as always, new artists, you know, they climb slow. And uh, I was sitting in my office... And my publisher opened the door, um, and like every Monday, you kind of know what the charts have done for the week. You kind of get through the weekend, and then Monday morning they say, this is the official new charts. And I'll never forget, she opened the door, and she says, you went to 19. And that was the first time that I went, oh, that's a hit. Because of the top 20 song. I, I, don't, I guess. There, there was no rule. Just to me, I was like, oh, 19, you know, and... uh and it kept climbing, and it kept climbing, and it was at five. And uh, it was the anniversary of 9-11. 
whatever anniversary that was, whatever the year. It was 9-11. It was like two, 2001 or 2000, 2002, I guess. Um, and we probably were out of juice. We weren't going to make it to number one, but we'd gone to five. And on the anniversary of 9-11, as radio does, um, they're playing things that are appropriate for the emotion for 9-11. And the song that was going to keep us out was uh, 10 More Rounds of Jose Cuervo. Which is the opposite of what radio was it playing. It was teed up to go number one. Yeah. And we jumped from five to one because we got enough emotional spins because of the day to, to put us over the thing. Now, in all fairness, 10 Rounds of Jose Cuervo went number one the next week. We didn't keep them out, but it allowed us to get number one. Crazy. Unsinkable ships a non-signed artist on a label that didn't exist cuts a song. It wasn't even going to be number one. And there you go. So did that change it all for you? When you have a number one, do you have a lot more clout? Is it like everybody wants to write with you now? Well, I think it, it makes people take notice. Like we all are aware of what, what's number one. And if it's somebody that's never had one before, everybody's like, oh, that's cool. It's like I think everybody loves to see somebody new win. Um, I think that it makes people pay attention. Um, the most beautiful thing is because as we all do our own self-doubting and I'm a one-hit wonder, I'm a one-hit wonder. A few months later, I had a number one on Terry Clark called I Just Want to Be Mad. Continue on. And what was fun <laughs> is because... For me, it was emotional because I'm like, okay. Even for me, I'm like, okay, I did it again. You're not Chumbawamba at this point. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I, it was it was some confidence, you know. And uh, and there was a lot of things going on then. I mean, it's like we had you know several things that we thought were going to happen and then didn't. But those two things did kind of back to back. And, uh, yeah, I think that changed everything. It certainly it got me in writing rooms that I couldn't get in before. So Joe Nichols, The Impossible, is number one. Terry Clark, I Just Want to Be Mad, is now at number one. Don't run your fingers through my hair. And your list of number ones, what's next? Chronologically. I think The World would have been next. So The World with Brad, which is a whole sidebar subject, but... Honey, all I got to say is to the world You may be just another girl You and Brad have a relationship where you guys have written a lot of songs together. Yeah. And so, because, and knowing both of you guys, I see how you get along because you guys have the same sense of humor. Is that good? Well, I think you and I have the same sense of humor too. And I think Is that's that what, good? No, it's not. It's not good for anybody except us because nobody else thinks we're funny. And we've seen that in rooms where we're the only two in the room that think we're funny. But. You and Brad, is that what makes you guys tick at first? Because you both have that dry, sarcastic, witty, plus you're good songwriters. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I, I, I've known him so long. Um, I, I knew him before his first record came out. We wrote the first time back then. And uh, and I didn't... The, the, matter of fact, The World was the first cut that I had on him. Um, and I had a couple on that same album. And again, you know, it's about relationships. I mean, from there... We end up spending more time together, and we ended up we've been writing ever since then. But you like each other, and you no, don't no, no, you don't spend do. time together unless you like each other. No, we do. Um, and again, I, I can't speak for him. I, I know that 
there's something familiar about knowing somebody for so long. And, you know, I always say the music community is tight. So the people that you're close to, we all do life together. And we all, you know, the the goods, the bads, you know, he's one of those people that, I mean, Brad's interesting in that Brad, Brad's a talker. Brad likes to sit and talk stuff out and, and just hang more so than anybody, any guy in my life. Brad is all about if he's going to relax, if he's just going to blow off steam, we're just going somewhere. We're just going to hang. We're going to sit. We're going to chat. We're going to laugh. We're going to listen to music. We're going to drive around, you know, and just just hang, you know. So, yeah, it's like you spend enough time with somebody, you know, somebody pretty well, and then he's incredibly loyal to his everyone in his world. I mean, his his crew. You know, the bus drivers, everyone in Brad Paisley land has been there. I mean, sometimes we say, what do you got to do to get fired by Brad Paisley? I mean, he, he truly, he loves his people and he wants you there. And uh, so he doesn't write unless he's working on an album. So we're just hanging unless it's time to do an album. And if it's time to do an album, and then we write and it's intense. It's it's all day and all night and all week and all month and and you slam it out, and you spend a lot of time together. You write the world. Was that the first uh, track off the record? No, I don't. Uh, no, it wasn't. There were several singles in. I mean, again, can you pressure a friend to put your track out first? No, no. As a matter of fact, you kind of. I think you have to be careful, and, and there's an art to that. Is like, I'm really bad at self promotion anyway. But if I'm sitting here. And there's a conversation about the next single is going to be my song or somebody else's song. I'm going to be thinking, I love you so much, please put mine out. But I'm never, ever, ever, ever probably going to bring it up or ask what he's thinking because I feel like it puts him in an uncomfortable position. So The World is the number one song. That's your number three. What's number four? Um... I guess, I guess still a guy. See, this is how you know you're a great writer, when you can't remember the order of your number ones. Well, oh, t- 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 time kind of gets funky and t- hazy. T- and Problems. Oh, man. But remember, I'm still a guy. When I hear this song, I think of both of you guys' personalities in this song. Like, I hear it in, by knowing you guys. Like, this is the quintessential song. Where both of you guys get together and make a bunch of jokes, and a song comes out of it. <laughs> well, the common denominator about all all of your first four is Kelly Lovelace. I wrote the first two that you played with just me and him, and then the, these two Brad things are me, Brad, and Kelly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think again, it's it's also knowing somebody. You know, uh, we were having this conversation, Kelly and I, about Brad and Kim, and you know, it's it's this perfect amazing relationship these two beautiful people with these beautiful lives and he's a country superstar and she's a movie star and they're so happy and uh and we you start saying like i said to kelly i said do you think when nobody's around they they just have redneck bites just like everybody else just ugly nasty married bites and kelly said i don't know they seem pretty stable he probably annoys her he's still a guy and that's where the idea came from. And so I said, well, how would you write that? And so we kind of roughed in some thoughts on it and took it to him. And he, he liked it. But it took took a long time to get it 
he's kind of got to finally find an emotional connection to it. And when he finally did, when he finally thought it was funny, he got it to where he thought it was funny. Then the question was, how far do we go? And so then we took it farther than we probably should have. And then that's when he decided it was perfect. And uh, we felt like it was uncommercial. We felt like it would scare the label. And uh, and the label felt like it would absolutely reach people. And, and they were right. And I'm glad they were. Does that song surprise you most? That's one of your number ones? Um, of all you of know, them. Only, maybe, but, but remember, you know, your opinion is kind of influenced by what your peers say. And I felt like that, oddly enough, this this song probably from from my friends, my writer friends, they probably gave this song more love than the others because they felt like it was written so well. Just strictly based on a well-written song. Now, the thing that is interesting is it's been a while since anything this, quote, funny was a hit. It's like radio doesn't really do funny lately. So sometimes it shocks me that something this light and this silly and this, you know. He was a superstar then, though, right? At this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. I, yeah. it's it's easier to be a little funny and have yeah. a lovely when you're a yeah. superstar. And he had been funny enough. Alcohol was funny. Celebrity. He, he, had, he had done this before. It was kind of his thing, you know, and it, was, it had been a little while, so it was kind of ready for it. Um, but, like, he would test it at, at shows. And, of course, he's been an arena act for a long time. And so before anybody had heard it, he would sit on a stool with an acoustic and he would sing it to them in an arena, which is gutsy. And and he was blown away because he said he said the entire place just roared and laughed, which he says that's fantastic because they don't know the song. You're selling it like that. And then we remember that he started getting nervous right before it came out as a single because the album had been out for a while. This wasn't the first single. There were several singles in. So people, his fans had had the album and they knew the music. And I remember one day he he had said, uh, they're not really laughing anymore. And then Kelly pointed out, he says, no, because they're singing. You know, everybody's singing now because they know it, you know. And then he, he still he still does it, and it's it's fun to watch him do it in concert because the entire place sings it back at him. This break brought to you by Sleep Number. Got to pay the bills. Obviously, did you see my room, by the way? I got a new place. First time you've been to the new place. I haven't seen the, the sleep number. Did you give him a tour at all, Mike, or did you walk him up? We just came up. Oh. I, well, so I have a sleep number bed. If you'd like to take a spin and, and take a nap afterward, feel free. It's a very comfortable bed. How long is the podcast going to be? Well, Should, long, am, I, am I going home tonight? <laughs> well, so listen, sleep number, I have one. My sleep number setting is 30, and they have a comfort fit pillow, which is awesome now. And you don't realize how awesome pillows are until you actually either have a really bad one or a really good one. And if you have a bad one, you're like, oh, this is terrible. But if you have a good one, you're like, I never even knew I needed a good one. But Sleep Number has the Comfort Fit Pillow, and it remembers even how your head is shaped. And so the Comfort Fit Pillow is comfortable. It's holiday season time, if you're hearing this right, recently. And it's there for you. My Sleep Number setting is 30. My Sleep IQ score last night was in the 90s, and there's only one place you'll find the Comfort Fit Pillow at a Sleep Number store. And right now, you can buy one, get one 50% off, and you can check out their great gifts, too, for greater sleep. 500 Sleep Number stores, 800 next bed, and you can tell them that you heard it here on the Bobbycast. That's how you know you start to make it whenever people want to advertise during a show. I'm a big Sleep Number guy anyway, but whenever we start to get people going, hey, I want to advertise, I'm like, dang, we, You've done people it. are listening to this thing now. You've done it, right? So, you, yeah, but I'm still a guy. That's your fourth number one. At this point, you're rolling in the dough. I mean, you're walking around, fur coats. 
fur coats. Fur coats come early, though. I mean, you, you got to jump on that immediately. Gold chains, you're, the sure. whole thing. All right. sure. At this time, they really have to four number ones. Are again? Are you a big dog on music, girl? I don't know. I don't know. You know, here's the problem. Um, you may not know this because there is no bigger dog than you. But in music, it's like no matter how good you're doing, you've got somebody that's just killing you. You know, so by the time I had four, it's like a couple of my best friends had 12 or something that's kind of going, oh, this is exhausting. Because here's the thing. It's it's a numbers game. It's a no game. So so I mean, I, I'm very blessed. So I, I can't complain about my success. But understand, by the time you get to the fourth number one, I mean, it's thousands of songs, and and we write every day, and and inevitably the things that you think are your great stuff, nobody cares about. You know, they've passed on them, or you get things on the record, and you okay, you're going to be the next single, and then the last minute they change their mind, and you don't get it, or the thing comes out, and and this is unbelievable. This is huge. This is going to be huge. This is going to be huge. And then the guy loses his record deal. I literally had a single coming out Monday. This was a few years ago. Um, and it was a song that had been cut twice before and had never been a single. And this guy cuts it. He's on a major label. It was the new single. It was in all the trades. They're going for ads on Monday. And on Friday, the guy calls me and he's crying. And he says, I just got dropped. You know, so we do lots of heartbreak, you know, along the way. Um, and, you know, so you're, you're, you're constantly, uh, is this, is this the last one? I drive my wife crazy. And all songwriters have it. It's like, ah, oh, it's a big hit. Number one record. I wonder if that's the last one. You know, it wasn't. Take me to number five. Uh, I guess that was you're gonna miss this. You're gonna miss this, Trace Atkins. You're gonna miss this. Did you write this with Trace? No, I wrote this with Ashley Gorley. So, did you write in color with Trace? No, I wrote. In did color. you ever write with Trace? No. You know, I wonder because that would be a weird dynamic. That's why I asked because I got a chance to know Trace. He's a little difficult to have a conversation with man of very few words he's quiet yeah i mean he's uh he writes i I don't trace never i don't think trace ever loved writing you know i've never written with written with trace i've had a few cuts on trace um trace is such a cartoon character because he's so big and his voice is so deep and he's he's kind of scary you know yeah and his stories too once you learn them you you get scared even more when he gets shot and you know about his yeah like, he's a bad man. Yeah, yeah. Um, you never stop thinking about that. It, it, you know, what's funny is uh, Trace cut in color. That, I think that's where it was. I think in yeah. my mind. Trace cut in color on the same session as You're Going to Miss This. And, uh, and then Jamie got a record deal that we didn't even know that he was trying to get. And we had to call Trace and tell him he couldn't have in, in color. I didn't call him. I made somebody else call him. Both those guys. You don't want to mess with only one yeah. of those guys. Right. So you're going to miss this goes number one. Yeah. But this is a monster song, by the way. Of all of these songs so far, in my mind, this is the biggest so far as far as just all-encompassing. Everybody knows it. Do you feel that way? Because it's just my personal feeling in my heart. You're gonna miss I think so. Um, this this one song of the year had a couple of things. It, it was nominated... For all the big awards and didn't win any of them, we lost to other things. But uh, um, yeah, I think that it's certainly for impact. This one is what is used for graduations, and you know, it's done a lot of things. Until in color comes along. Now, interesting thing about in color, in color only went to seven. 
This wasn't a number one it song. It was not a number one song. It was not a number you one know, song. You know, that's it's not that in, I'm I am shocked by it, but I'm not because Girl Crush wasn't a number one song. Mm. And there are a lot of huge songs that don't hit number yeah. one for whatever political reasons radio has and labels. You know, there's a lot of labels going, okay, we'll trade you this for this. And for some reason, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, and In Color sounded, for all of the things that made people love In Color, it, it hurt it commercially. If it looks like I can't believe this was a number one song. It wasn't. And it, you're, you're, it took forever to get. Man, you suck. I know. You couldn't even get this song number one. You wouldn't have done this if you'd known this didn't go number one. Would you? This is the only reason I brought him in. This is, listen, this song, though, now is the biggest song of all of them. I would say this one changed my life more than anything else. Because, you know, it, the music business is, is an interesting animal. So you can have... You can have a big hit on a big commercial, cool-sounding record that people, the business just shrugs their shoulders, say, yeah, congratulations, it's a hit. Another one. Hey, so, another one. This one, I don't know, I, I'm not the one to, to speak on it. I, I just know that the things that people said to me, respect-wise, craft-wise, um, it got a lot a, a lot of love. And I had a lot of people say a wonderful, a lot of nice things to me about this. This is a song that's people's favorite song. And all the other songs, but the, the Trey song could probably be a favorite song too. Yeah. And the other songs that you had number ones with, those are really fun, good songs. But very few songs in lifetimes are favorite songs of people. Yeah. Because like I have two or three favorite songs in my life. Like that's it. Like what's your favorite song? I got a couple favorite songs. Like I love Stop This Train from John Mayer. Like I would say I have a couple favorite songs. If Tomorrow Never Comes. Like I have a couple favorite songs. I know, for, for example, my manager, Mary Forrest, this is her favorite song in her life. This is me and Grandma. Let's listen to this. Summer sun all dressed up the day we said our vows. You can't tell here, but it was hot that June. That rose was red and her eyes were blue. And just look at that smile. I was so proud. That's the story of mine. And you're telling me Trace got this first, and you had to call Trace and go, hey, I gotta take it back. We did. And nobody was really talking about, you're gonna miss this. I don't, it wouldn't have made the record. However, everybody was freaking out about in color. And I had one of the studio musicians actually called me the day they tracked it, and they tracked both of them. And, and he says, man, he says, wait, do you hear in color? It is unbelievable. And, and so uh, the producer called me in to, to play me. The, the cuts and uh, and he played me you're going to miss this but I already knew that Trace really didn't like it like he wasn't really into it and then he played me uh, in color Trace's cut and and it killed me it was it was big and it was it sounded expensive I mean it was just wow is this a big record and and there's rumblings it might be the title track of the album it's going to be a career record for Trace and and you know and then he wanted to go do the Celebrity Apprentice, which put the entire album on hold, and they were going to have to do something else. And that gave them just enough hiccup that uh, Jamie the whole time knew he was going to do another record, and so he turned a group of songs in to uh, the, the label, uh, another label, and uh, they offered him a record deal on the spot. And then they turned around and says, but the, 
the easiest thing we think we can get radio to play is in color. And uh, I said, okay. And so then I walk into the publisher one day, and they said, we got a problem. And they said, uh, they're shipping in color to radio for Jamie. And uh, I said, Jamie has a deal? They said, yeah. And I said, but we've already promised Trace. And they said, somebody's got to call Trace. And I said, call Jamie. Jamie called Trace. Really? And he did. And how was Trace about that? Do you know? So I hadn't talked to Trace, and uh, it was at the number one party for You're Gonna Miss This. And we're standing on the platform. We'd, we'd all done our little speech and our thank yous, and, and we're having our picture taken. And I'm standing next to Trace, and of course he's nine feet tall. And I said, um, I'm sorry about it in color. And he goes, mm. Yeah. He says, Well, he says, if Jamie wasn't a writer on it, it would have been a different story. But Jamie was a writer on it. What am I supposed to do? You wrote it with Jamie. Yeah. Did, and so uh, we we went to Vegas for the ACMs, and when In uh, Color was nominated for uh, Song of the Year, and we won, and uh, so after we go up, and we we accept our award, we go in the back, and and we come back out to go back to our seats and commercial break, and I come walking out through the crowd, and it's fun because it's all music rows out there, and everybody's high fiving you, and, you know, and somebody screams. And everybody stops and turns around And Trace is standing up This much taller than everybody else right? And says Come here And so I walk over there to him And I kid you not There I'm in my suit We're all looking so nice And he puts me in a headlock And he screams with vulgarities That's my blanking song <laughs> And I remember I'm standing in a headlock Looking at Kid Rock Who's watching me be beat up By Trace Atkins And and then he laughed and he hit me and he said, oh, blank, blank, blank. Congratulations. So that song also, like, you go to the Grammys for that song, right? We did. I've had, th- I've had three Grammy nominations, which is beautiful. It just gets you so close to make you make you want one. Um, what's interesting is In Color was up against You're Going to Miss This for the Grammy. You had two songs up for the same Grammy? I did. Dang. And by the time it's like royalty in here, dude. By realize. the time I got there, because uh, Impossible was up for a Grammy, but we knew where were you when the world stops turning. We knew that was going to win, and it did. Um, and then we go for Miss This and and in color, and it's like okay, well, there's five, there's five choices. I have two of them, and. A lot of people thought In Color was going to win. So by the time you get down to that and the winner is, I'm pretty pumped. I'm pretty, and I'm dying because I'm thinking, what, are we really going to win a Grammy? And we didn't. Uh, stay. Sugarland. Speaking of Sugarland, they won. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sitting there with Trace, you know, thinking I'm going to win for In Color, and then we didn't win anything. So stay, man, Stay's a good song. I'm not going to lie to you. Stay's a good song, too. That's a favorite song for people, too. I know, but you're my friend, so we, you shouldn't say that out loud. Uh, I would have voted for In Color, though. That's a life song. They're both great, though. That's Tay's song. I remember watching a video for that one, being like, oh, my goodness. Because Jennifer was crying during the song. I don't know if she was acting. Probably because she's a good actor. But You know what? Actually, at the ACMs, In Color was up against You're Going to Miss This Song of the Year at the ACMs. And 
in color one song of the year, and you're going to miss this one single of the year. So you want both with both? Well, the single is for the producer and the artist. But but it's still a you song. Yeah, I and mean, you wrote the yeah, song, yeah. and they didn't get to they wouldn't produce it or yeah. sing it if you didn't write it. Was it was pretty fantastic. It was that was a lot of fun. It's like all my worlds are colliding because like, listen, what do I? I don't know anything about music, right? I mean, I do whatever I do, but we do our little musical thing and write some songs. But really, the only two people that I feel comfortable writing with that are you and Christian Bush. That's it. Like that's <laughs> that, <laughs> and you guys are up. Why against is the that? Well, I don't let people. You know me. I'm a very private guy when I'm not public. But you're fun. You're not scary. I, I'm not that fun, and I'm not that confident. I can remember the first time because we were like, "Hey, I didn't know how to do a record. I know anything about a record." And it was, "Hey, yeah, I'm gonna do a comedy record." Because we had right, we had set goals, and we said, "Hey, if we make a million bucks for charity, we're gonna do a record." And before we, we could do a record, we had raised two million, and we're like, "Holy crap!" We kind of owe it to ourselves to at least try. I didn't know any songwriters. I didn't know anything, right? I knew like five chords. Now I know like nine. So it's not even that much that different. <laughs> and so I'm just writing with a couple of people that I know and by myself and my comedy friend writers where I'm the musical lead, which is not a good place for me to be. So Nick Autry, who's a producer, who's producing the record, who worked at Black River, was like, listen, I've been trying to get this guy for a write. He will not write with me. He and didn't say I that. swear to God. Like, I promise. He said he will not write with me. I can't get him for a write. He said, can I use and say you're writing and try to get him to come and do a write? And I was like, I don't care what you do. I don't know anybody. Like, sure, whatever you want to do. And he goes, okay. And I don't even know what the guy's name was, but he told me it was. Anyway, I get there, and it's Lee. I don't, I don't know. I know you from Jim. You know, I was like, because I didn't know. I don't know anybody. Like, I really, people think, oh, you must know. I don't know anybody. When it comes to, like, the minutia of what's happening underneath the music, I don't know anybody. I'm starting to meet people now through different processes of touring and writing and not so much radio, but the different parts of it. Like now I have songwriter friends and I have a girlfriend who's a, a, so it's, but then I knew nothing. So all I know is there's a guy named Lee that the producer of the record is like just giddy that he gets to write with them. And I'm like, well, let's see what happens. I don't even know. We wrote the first time we were together. Uh, I, I, I like you. Ah, I love baseball. I love Full House. About my inability to say I love you. It's disconcerting that you have them queued up that easily. I mean, people think this is like studio tricks where you're doing this later, but you're literally just hitting the button as we talk. Oh, yeah, there's no editing. We don't edit this at all. We won't, it's, it's a rule, right, Mike? Yeah, so we wrote I like you for the Raging Idiots. And then I was like, oh, that league guy's pretty nice. I had no idea what you were. Like I said, I didn't know anything. It wasn't a disrespect thing at all. I was clueless. <laughs> and so Lee leaves, and he was like, he was like freaking out. He's like, we just wrote with Lee Miller. And I'm like, that's amazing. And like I was like, that's cool, you know? It's so cool. Let me go look. Let me go Wikipedia. And I was like, I can't find a Lee Miller anywhere because I didn't know it was Lee Thomas Miller. That was your writing. And I was like, this guy probably. Why do you want to write with him? He didn't have any songs. <laughs> Lee Miller, like Lee. Is that Arthur Miller's brother from back in the 50s? You know, I didn't know what the deal was, right? So he was like, no, no, no. I thought you had done the Google before we wrote. Now I just feel weird. Well, I didn't know anything. It was just ignorance. So the second time I was ready, though, second time he said, I'm going to ask Lee to write again. I'm like, cool. Ask Lee to write again. We, I thought we were, we were friendly and we hit it off, which I don't hit it off a lot of people because I'm very reserved and, and shy to a point where sometimes people think it's, I'm rude. But I just am very introverted when I'm not extroverted. So I was like, yeah, I like Leek. I felt like I could make jokes, and I thought you were funny. And so I said, yeah, bring him back in. And so 
we went, <laughs> we went in, and we started playing this song, and we're like, hey, let's write a song about Starbucks, right? And so, Starbucks this isn't how it started. It started with two guitars. Oh, it didn't sound anything like this. And it was, it was like, I, really, it was a country song where we were, you know, singing it. And I was like, hey, Lee, play a little faster. Let me try to rap this thing. And Lee's like, you rap? I was like, ah, let's just see what happens here. So Lee, like, starts popping it like this. Was I popping it? Yeah, you're popping it pretty hard. He was hitting it. And so it was written on two acoustics. And the next thing you know, we have this ridiculous song that, by the way, it's so weird to have people sing this song back. But our band, The Raging Idiots, has a song, Starbucks. And there's Lee. Starbucks be filling up my cup. Starbucks be jacking me up. Starbucks, 10,000 degrees. And yeah, I'll take a day and a shiny something to eat. I'm always holding up the line because I might be a little choosy. And I do appreciate the fact you use a paper koozie. How's that not nominated for a Grammy? Nick did good. That's, that's great production. Oh, yeah. The, the, one of the fam- most fantastic pieces of writing I've ever heard. And production and vocals. I mean, it's all right there. No, you shouldn't be. But that, here's a funny story. So we, uh, we're playing the Ryman last year for the Million Dollar Show. And this is a show for St. Jude. And I invite a ton of people out to play with us. And so it's our band, The Raging Idiots. But all show long, it's Little Big Town. It's Kelsey. It's, it's people that I'm friends with that are coming on to also raise money for St. Jude, but they were easy calls for me because I don't like asking people to do stuff. And But when it comes to charity, I'll ask my friends to do stuff. And I'll be like, so, I, you know, I called Little Big Down and I called Kelsey and I called... Uh, Carrie. Carrie, who... All these people were just fantastic to show up. And at the end of it, we played, during this Raging Idiot show, <laughs> we played Starbucks and I Like You and, and Lee and his wife came. And I was like, hey, Lee, stay. You know, there's a lot going on, but I want to I hang out. Because I like Lee. Mike, I don't know if you know, but I like, like, genuinely, I like Lee. That's where you met my wife, actually. It was, for the first time. And so, I was, I was, I was being funny, I made a joke. I said, hey, dude, congratulations, you got two songs played at the Ryman tonight. He goes, no, 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 I got, <laughs> I got three. And I was like, did we play something else that you wrote? He's like, no, no, no. Chris Stapleton had showed up, and we invited him. He was a secret guest. And Chris, again, I'll, I just made a call. Because with the Chris thing, like, we, we had Chris in before that his Traveler ever came out. I was just a big fan of Chris as a songwriter. And as a vocalist, so Chris was just grateful and still is very loyal to this day when I don't do anything because he's like, hey, I just appreciate you like being there for me when it wasn't Chris Stapleton. Yeah. And so Chris comes, and at this time he had blown up, and he shows up and the crowd's going crazy, and he plays Whiskey and You, right? That's the difference between Whiskey and You. And Lee goes, oh yeah, I wrote Whiskey and You with Chris. And I was like, oh, oh no. my God! Got me. I mean, it was so poser for me to say that one. No, I set myself up. <laughs> but you up. had to know. I, I didn't know. I set myself up and got punched right in the nads. Like I was like, hey, you got to feel good, dude. And he's like, no, no, three. And the good one. I wrote the good one. Whiskey and I didn't say that. In my heart, you did. <laughs> so you write this with Chris? I did. And one's long gone such a good song. And I told him... Um, a couple years ago, I said, because this has been cut several times before Chris put Traveler out, and uh, McGraw cut it, and uh, for one, and uh, <laughs> I think Aaron Lewis has cut it, and and um, I said, I tell you what, is this line in this? Is I drink because I'm lonely, and I'm lonely because I drink, and I said, if it's ever a hit, I will get that tattooed somewhere, and he says, okay. He says, how about this? The higher the hit 
on the charts, the more visible the tattoo. <laughs> so it hasn't it hasn't been on the charts yet. So it's pending. It's one of those songs that's an album cut. And and again, you always want the single because that's how a songwriter makes money. Sure. But that's 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 one of the album cuts on records that people know. Because most of the time you don't know album cuts. It's funny. A lot of people know this. Yeah. It, it's really yeah. it's. Uh, but that whole album is so good from mm-hmm. front to back that a lot of those songs are so yeah. well known. Yeah. So yeah, you, you write that with Chris and those other people were kind of. Fir- I had no idea. He, uh, you know, Chris is incredibly successful as a songwriter, and and the whole time, I mean, it wasn't like he just <laughs> all of a sudden become incredible. I mean, we've all known it forever. Um, we wrote at the same company for a long time, and I spent a lot of time with Chris. And I wrote every other Wednesday with Chris for years. And uh, so once he got his record deal, and you know, immediately, and, he, and he's had a record deal for a while. It takes a while for things to happen. And uh, you know, I've been telling him now for years, you know, at least three years or something since he's been out, you know, being an artist and traveling. And, and about every two months, I'll just text him and say, I miss my Ever Other Wednesday. <laughs> because it was like you just knew. I mean, sometimes we wrote just commercial ditty. And sometimes we wrote dark and sad. And, but whatever it was, it was always so good. Like we had, me and Chris wrote Thomas Rhett's first single with him. And Thomas was still in uh, Which is, college. Which is? What's on that? Uh, something to do with my hands. Oh, cool. So maybe I stick them in your pockets. Unbelievable. You're a pro. So you and Stapleton write this for Thomas. He was still in college. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, the other day I saw Thomas and I said, I need to update my contacts because I went to email you something the other day and it's still your college.ed, at whatever it is, address. You know? So he would like, you know, come right with us in the morning and then go do afternoon classes. Good dude. Like, good, good dude. Yeah, I like Thomas a lot. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's, I mean, he's the next superstar. Oh, sure he is. And has earned it, not been thrown up there. Like, he's taken all the right steps. Yep. And did it his own way. And I like him a lot. Wonderful. So you and Stapleton wrote that for Thomas. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about one more number one you had here. Uh, Tim McGraw, Southern Girl. So you write this with who? Rodney Clawson and Jaron Johnston. Jaron, by the way, Cadillac 3. Yes. Yeah. And also, Cadillac 3, but a very prominent songwriter. Absolutely. Too. Like, maybe even bigger songwriter, because Cadillac 3, as good as they are, they haven't really cut through commercially yet. Yep. Songwriter are like one of the real elite guys. Sure is. That band is so good, too. They just haven't had the right song. Sure. Right. So you guys write this, and so do you pitch it to McGraw first, or does it go around? I think he was the first person that heard it. Uh, I think that he was looking, you know, and... Uh, you know, Tim's been good to all of us, and we sent it over, and they loved it, and they cut it, and there you go. See, that's the that's the opposite of the impossible. Like that story <laughs> is the polar opposite of the impossible. It is, and you know what's funny though? People love this song. It's like you can kind of gauge at writers' nights when I do them. You know, the popularity of things and how much how much people love them, how much they sing. And... You're so good at writers' nights that it's all it's really bad. Because I played. I, Mike, I played one with Lee once. It was awful. It was really one of the worst performing experiences of my life. And I've had a couple really bad ones, but Lee says, hey, will you play Tin Pan South, right? Yes. Maybe the first time I got it right. And, and I, not that I don't, 
I just I'm not in the writer world. You had no idea. No, I don't. I was like, pin bands out, sure. What is that? Like everybody bring pots bands. Well, I understand. Play in the he, kitchen. Bobby famously says, "I don't know people. I don't know people. I don't know you know." And and somebody at the Nashville Songwriters Association who puts on Ten Pan South as their big fundraiser said, "Do you think Bobby would play Ten Pan South with you?" And I said, <laughs> "So they came to you." Well, it was just kind of a candid thing. Do you think Bobby would do it? And I said, "No." And they, okay, well, I started to ask, and so then I stood there and I was like, "I said, wow." I said, "That would be a really good one because people people would like to see him." I said, okay, I'll ask, but there's no way. And so I just texted him, and I just said, hey, would you do Would you do 10 Pants South? And I gave him a date, or the dates, the week. And he writes right back, sure. And I said, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was. All I knew was my friend, and again, maybe three people could have asked me that question. And two of them I'd have said maybe to, and one of them I would have said yes to. And the yes was Lee. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like a... But you said yes immediately, so I knew you didn't know what, what it was. I know I did, but you were asking me the same way that I, I will make the call to close friends, and they say yes before I can really explain what it is. Like I was like, yes, what it, yep, sure, what is it? What is well, it? immediately there was pressure because I'm like, okay, wait, is he just doing this because I asked? Because I don't know that we're close enough that he – would he do that? Because So I said, wait, I don't think you know what this is. And he says, I'll do it if you want me to. And I said, okay, it's going to be me and you and two other guys. We're going to sit on stools. We're going to take turns. And for two hours, we're going to play songs and tell the story behind the song. And it's light and it's loose, but there'll be a big crowd and it's a songwriter's night. And his quote was, I literally bring nothing to the table, but I will if you want me to. And so now I'm like, I'm flattered and I'm terrified because that's a lot of pressure in case he hates this, right? On the opposite, I'm terrified. And then I'm flattered in the opposite order. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it, and it was amazing. It wasn't you were amazing. amazing. First of all, let me, this is this is the awful thing. So Lee is first, and usually I'm the funny guy, and then I do the bad music stuff. Lee's also the funny guy, and he does great. He's nailing all these number one songs, and then I have to go, and I'm not even the funny guy, nor am I the music guy, and so I'm like, oh great, I have to follow freaking Lee again, and so all night long I'm following Lee. But the two guys that he mentions are. Two of the bigger songwriters in all of country music right now, Ashley Gorley and Krista Stefano, who have number one, number one, number one, like crazy. And so it's me and three humongous songwriters, and they're up there just blasting out their hits. And I'm like, Starbucks, <laughs> filling up my cup. <laughs> it really, I was just like, what? And this is what I was told, too. He was like, well, you know, we'll play four or five songs. That's it. I was like, great. So I prepared four or five songs, and... We ended up going seven deep. No, we did. Yo, we went way deep. And I was like, at one point, I was like, I don't know, I don't have more. I don't know what else I can play. Like, I don't know that many songs. Like, I know parts of songs. I know how to sing songs. But you're, I'm supposed to do them all. But yes, I. That was just. Uh, you're asking. Yes, I will do it. And then I figured it out. And I'm much better. I learned a lot from that experience. Really? Like what? How to handle that situation and how to get to that level where I can do it again and not feel so foolish. I'm never going to be good. I know my limitations in life, but it's where can you find things that take those limitations and kind of rise above. And first of all, I know more songs. Secondly, I know my role. If I'm ever playing with you, first of all, I'm not playing beside you. I'm going to play in front of you or I'm going to play like three people down. I'm not playing beside you. So I, I also learned how to do a writer. I've never done a writer's round before, before that. So you want to do them again? So I didn't say I want to, but if you need me, I would do it in a second. 
But it, to go from not doing one to doing that one would be comparable to moving to Nashville, just learning how to play the guitar, and me going, hey, come play on our radio show <laughs> for, a, for five million people. Like that was kind of – and it was really weird. And I, I, was fool, I felt foolish after it was over. But everybody was happy, right? I think all the people came oh, to see you, they so did I think not. it was fine. They did not. Chris Stefano sings as good as any artist out there just about. And he's just like nailing – he was doing Carrie – Something in the water, which he wrote. And it's just like he's singing it as loud and as pure as it can possibly be saying. And I'm just like. And De Stefano finishes something in the water and the people go crazy and then the, the crowd dies down. And Bobby says, How much money do you have in your wallet right now? <laughs> See, that was. That's, funny. But that's what they wanted to know. Like, people always <laughs> want to know that stuff. And so I'm like, Okay, I'm just going to be me and I'm going to ask questions that are coming to my head because I got to know. You wrote that song. How much is your wallet right this second? Like, how much cash are you holding? And he, he kind of danced around the question. But asked, <laughs> he didn't answer. He, he didn't did answer. That's no, okay. And you don't always have to answer. <laughs> but I, I have to ask. Uh, so, yeah, that was a fun night. You are writing, and you have been writing with some of my friends, Brothers Osborne. Yes. Those are my dudes. Oh. They're, they're, so, they're so far my dudes that John's wife is like, Lucy Silva's, is like one of my favorite artists She's in the world. She's amazing. Too. So, yes. you and Brothers Osborne, I have It Ain't My Fault up here. So, you guys wrote this together. We did. Yeah. But it ain't my fault. I love this song. But it ain't my fault. Might have had a little fun, not a wrong guy. What do you think of those guys? Well, in my head, I sing like him. They're wonderful. They're so fun to work with. They're so fun to write with. I, I mean, I, I can't. I think they're, the, you know, one of the next big things. It was so exciting. Um, they won Song of the Year at ASCAP, which. I knew it was going to happen, and I'd been sworn to secrecy. And uh, and they announced it, and they just lost their minds in this beautiful, they were also kind of drunk by emotional. Then. <laughs> Maybe it helped. I mean, I look, I look, no, and they were very emotional about it because they really were. Like they were moved. Oh, very much. Very moved. Everything they said was so pure. And then at the CMAs, they won duo, and and I mean, you know, we're sitting, we we were there, me and my wife, and. And uh, you know you're all dressed up and you're sitting at Bridgestone. You're watching it, and, and you know it's we we you know probably not going to be shocked by a whole lot. So you just kind of say, and all of a sudden they win, and I was like, I'm throwing popcorn and I'm screaming and I'm dancing and I'm flailing, and and everybody was. It's one of those things. Where it was like, ah, these are such good guys. It was such a great moment. Everyone expected Florida Georgia Line to win again, and they didn't. And it was a double shock: one that Florida Georgia Line didn't win, two that Brothers Osborne won. And not the brothers Osborne didn't deserve it, but nobody was predicting that. Well, and yeah, and, and understand this wasn't a, a, anything against Florida Georgia Line. It's just it, it, you know, they're at their peak. I mean, it, clearly, you know, they're 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 killing it. And and any anyone else would have been an underdog. And for brothers Osborne to win um, was exciting, but but also because. Everyone that has experienced these guys just love them. They're they're tr- they're wonderful musicians, and they're just sweethearts. Yeah, John plays the guitar like I'm. Uh, oh, it's amazing! A maniac, and I, I see great guitar players, and he plays it like yeah. a maniac. Uh, I'll disagree with you a bit. I think they're very deserving. I think a part of it was anti Florida Georgia Line. I do. Um, not that they're not, and I and I say that as like I know Brothers Osborne's parents. Like that's how I, I do too. Like I, these are they're my. I was so happy for them. I think a little bit of that sentiment wasn't even about Florida Georgia Line. It was that type of music. It was like we want there to be a slight change, maybe. 
and they've also won it X amount of years in a row, who is awesome, and we want to kind of make a slight change. And I think that was a part of it. I don't think it was the majority of it, but I'd, if I didn't say that some of that was anti-Florida Georgia line, I would be lying. But that's my, just my opinion. Right. So I was pumped for them. Like, I was going crazy. And I was watching the Cubs play. I didn't even go to the, I, I didn't even go to the CMAs. I was like, screw the CMAs. First of all, screw the CMAs. Anyway, but then that's, that's me saying that, not you. But then That's uh, Bobby saying yeah, that. Yeah, it's for sure. Me. It's for, yeah, screw the CMA. But I didn't go to the CMAs. I, went to, I came home to watch the Cubs play, and I flipped over for that. Because when your friends play, you want to watch. Because Lindsay played too. She played with Carrie that night. Um, yes. And so there were things yes. I was flipping over for to catch. But yeah, that was cool. That was really cool for those guys. She was part of the whole wild girl rock band part of the evening. Your girlfriend was. Yeah. yeah I was proud of her. I, well, I tried to get you to come to a cocktail party during awards week too. And you, you wouldn't come because of the cups. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, And it was a cocktail party. More because it was the Cubs, and I don't do weeknights at all, like zero weeknights. Although last night I was doing a Cracker Barrel commercial till probably 11 o'clock. You had dinner at my house on a weeknight. I did, and it was really late, and I felt, like you wanted, I felt like you wanted us to leave because you're, you unbuttoned your top button, and you started to look a little disheveled. See, you keep telling that, and, and at some point I'm going to be like slumped over in a chair the farther the story goes. I have had zero dinners with people, let me think. I really can think of none. It's just not my thing. Zero dinners. And, uh, and Lee was like, come down for dinner. And I was like, I'm coming down for dinner. He invited me. First of all, I, didn't have a, I was by myself. He was like, hey, come down. Cause I, I, my wife asked you. Yes. My wife at 10 Pan South says, I want you to come to my house for dinner like normal people. And I said, I'm not a normal person. But you said yes. We just had never scheduled it. You had never committed and I didn't want to be the third wheel, husband, wife, and me. When I got a girlfriend, I was like, I'm in for dinner, Lee. <laughs> and so then we couldn't find a date. And I was like, eh, I'm, okay, we'll just figure it out some other time. And Lee was like, no, 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 no. So we negotiated for about 20 minutes on dates. And then went down and we had dinner until like 10 o'clock. It was really a wonderful time. And my, my girlfriend really liked you guys. So I did not get you. tired. I said, I said, okay, we stood up, we walked around the house. And we come back, and the girls sat back down and continued talking. So I sit down, and you took that to mean I was tired. I never remember touching my and shirt. Your button, and your top button. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, listen. In my mind, things happen. I, I, but uh, that we have is the only dinner I think I've ever. Mike, you think me go to a dinner so. on a weeknight <laughs> ever? No. Yeah, me either. Man, he sat at a table with children, and we all just we talked about life and part of that's weather. also <laughs> a girlfriend too, like. She's a great girlfriend, too. She's, she's a good hang. She makes me a normal human a little more than I am. Yeah. Because she's oddly... She fills in your awkward silences. Which is all. It's all one big awkward silence. <laughs> Which means me. she talks and you just kind of sit and hang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was good. Uh, Frankie Ballard wrote El Camino. Yes. Which is Stapleton. The, so you and Chris wrote El Camino, too. We did. This is the title track, too, right? Of that record? Is, it, is that record called El Camino? Or is it called like El Paso? Or? No, it's called Del... El, no, it's not the title it's track. Not, is it something? But it ain't my fault. Dude, I think we're, we're shorting out over here, dude. Yeah. Uh, here's, so there's like a... Whatever the name of it is, it's something. It's a, It's like a name of a Texas town. Yeah, it's like, okay. That may be why I think it's El Camino. El Rio or something. So you guys ride El Camino. Just you two? We did. Okay. I need to get out... And I don't want to say any names, but what I want to get into once, I'm just asking this favor. We ask favors of each other. 
Whenever you get like a really powerful right, I want to sit in the room and add like a couple words. And let me get a third of that right. You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll yeah, legitimize me. Because nobody's ever thought about that before. <laughs> that happens, right? Does that, does that happen? <laughs> um, I, I hear that it does. Oh, see, I will be so upset with that. I, I wouldn't be able to handle that very well. It's funny. I remember when I started, it was kind of, a, a three-way was kind of taboo. You, you, you needed it to be no more than two. Really? Yeah, I remember that. I remember there were people that wouldn't do a three-way. That's crazy now because I, I know... Mo- oh, yeah. Most rights are three people, or at least yeah. a lot of them are now. Mm-hmm. But that's all, that's also less money if it hits. That's dividing in threes. Simple math. So you and Chris write every other Wednesday. We do. And in these, you wrote those all these songs, like Whiskey and You, oh, yeah. on these every other Wednesday. Oh, yeah. I probably had more cuts with Chris than I have had with anybody. And he's a good dude, huh? Wonderful. I what I know of him, and I and I feel like I know him relatively well. For how the, that time we spent together, just because he's been great to me, and I was such a, as a, I was just a fan of him as a writer, and I've been lucky enough to do on the radio show be fans of writers, and and talk about writers and bring writers in, and, and Chris was one of those guys. Um, Chris is quiet, and um, I, I think that before he got married, I felt like he, I think he's kind of got a, a dark side. I, I feel like that when he married Morgan, I think that that rounded him out, and I think that I think that took the. I think they took the dark away. I think he's, I think he's a happy person. Um, he's a wonderful father. Uh, you know, as I've already said, I've been in this town a long time. I know a lot of musicians. Chris Stapleton's the most talented person I've ever worked with, hey. and, and always. <clears throat> and that was before the world ever knew about him. He's the second, next to Bobby Bones. He's the most talented. I know. I just got my throat. I was just coughing. I'm, yeah, on, I am so embarrassed. You can edit that out later. As a writer, did like you wrote today. Right before you came over here, I did. Okay, do, uh, is that every day? Do you, have, do you drive somewhere and write every day? Every day, drive downtown because I love Music Row. I love driving into Music Row and it drives my wife crazy. She says you have a great space at home. Why don't you write here? And I was like, because I like to go to Music Row and work every day. This every seems day. like it would be exhausting. Every day. Who do you like now? And not who do you not like, but give me a couple people that you hear now that you hear on the radio. Maybe you don't have any relationship with them at all, and you're like, that's cool. I like that. Like, uh, like that you don't have a personal relationship with. Like, we can't say Brothers Osborne. We both enjoy them as humans. Can't mention them. But you hear something on the radio, and you're like, that's pretty cool. Well, you know what? I have never had a Kenny Chesney cut, and I am a Kenny Chesney fan. I, I, I love setting the world on fire. I was talking to Kenny. We were, man, I didn't know. He didn't tell me. See, here's the thing about it. Have you, have you, have you, make, you say you never met Kenny? I've met him. I've said hi. But you I don't, I don't know him. I've never hung. I'll give you a couple of Kenny stories. So I have hung with him a few times. My work it creates that atmosphere. And then if you actually get along with someone, you can still sit in the same room. And if you don't, you go back to your own rooms. And sometimes there are artists, and I just, we just go back to our own rooms. It's like humans. Not all humans mesh, right? Kenny and I, for some reason, get along. But Kenny has no filter. And... I wouldn't have no filter around someone that had a big microphone. Sure. But I keep a lot of secrets, too. I'm good at that. Like I, I know the difference of what I can and can't say. It just I wouldn't trust me until I was able to trust me. He's always trusting me for some reason. So Kenny and I, just the last time we were together, we're up. We're on stage, and we've had three or four instances where we've been together for over an hour and a half or so. So we're, we're comfortable with each other. And we're playing songs from his record, and there's a crowd watching, and he, 
that song that you like and that I like too. It's an amazing song with Pink. What a great person to pick for that song, setting the world on fire. He leans over and he goes, this was never going to be a single ever. And I was like, why, you know, why would you cut it with a pop artist? You know, why? And he was like, I wanted it to be, but had she not gotten pregnant, this would never have been a single because she was doing her own thing and they weren't going to let us put it out because she'd had her songs out. You can't put a song out. I didn't know she hadn't announced that she was pregnant. He told me this, oh, this like is a fantastic. month before she had, because she, she just announced she was pregnant like a week or so ago as, as we're taping this right now. She just said she was pregnant. And I was like, oh my God. He never said don't say anything about it. I never did. Oh, that could have been a mess. But it could have been a mess. That's because a lot of pressure. He just threw it out there like, oh yeah, uh-huh. she was pregnant. And had she not gotten pregnant, we'd have never got to cut this song. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Had it come up in conversation, I may have said something about it because he didn't say, hey, don't, off the record, hey, don't say this. So that song would have never been on the radio. It was never, when they cut it, it was never going to be on the radio. But because she got pregnant, I was like, I'm going to pull myself off. They got to put it out as a single. So I thought that was pretty cool. There was another one. Because he just says stuff. And you're like, did you just say that? And like, the, I have another good kid. What's it's my very other kid? trusting. But why me? I don't know why I would trust me, though, of all people. Because I'm known. Because I... I don't have a big mouth, but I say my feelings, and those two things kind of get mixed up. Yeah, I mean, I think that was dicey. You could have messed up because you could have just assumed that everybody knew. I did assume that. It just didn't come up in a conversation because yeah. I would. You got I, lucky on that. One. I would have said something. Um, man, I had another good Kenny story too from that night. But I don't know. I forgot it. Who knows? I've been talking on today for like eleven hours. I dig Maren Morris. Yeah, Maren's awesome, huh? Yeah. Um, I, I think she's very real. I, I met her again before. Uh, before Chris blew up, uh, I was on the road riding with him, and she opened a show for him at this little this little bar in Atlanta. And it's the first time I've ever seen her, and she just was so amazing. She was so sweet. And then uh, it's funny, last summer vacation, family vacation, um, I'd taken my oldest, just meeting him to the Rock and Roll Museum in Cleveland, and we're sitting in the in the cafe eating a sandwich in the at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, random. And Maren Morris walks in and sits down and eats a salad, and I said. What are you doing? And she was in town with the Keith Urban concert, and she was just going through the Hall of Fame. And it's funny now she probably couldn't walk through there; everybody go crazy. But you know, I think the weird thing about Marin, and I know I've the same way. You know, Marin and I were cool before Marin blew up, and I had her on the show before she had anything to download, just because I thought, man, she's really good. And so she still goes to Walmart and stuff. Yeah, like she. That's part of Nashville too. I think you can get away with stuff in Nashville that maybe you can't some places. People, I, I people think if people, people go, "This is Marin Morris," everybody freaks out. Yeah, but yeah, she's and Marin's real deal. Yeah, she's going to be pretty recognizable though. I mean, she she's going to be hard. You know, yeah. If you're a fan, you're going to re- oh, that's her. She's also going to be the new, and she already kind of is because her record was so critically acclaimed because it was so good. Sometimes records get big because they're just big, they're big on the radio. But her record was critically acclaimed because it was so good. And like My Church wasn't a number one song. Mm-hmm. And 80s Mercedes probably isn't going to be a number one song. But the record is so good, like it doesn't matter. Yep. It's like when we go back to, you know, talking about In Color. Like you don't even know, remember what was number one. Well, my daughters know every song on that record, every word of every song. Yeah, me too. And I don't listen to records. Mm-hmm. I'm the, I just don't. No, I mean, really? Nobody does anymore, unless it's your favorite artist. I think that's sad. 
Yeah, but it's also the, it's a generational thing. I know. Because we're able to get music one at a time. When I was young, young, you didn't get music one at a time unless you went to the store and bought the single on tape. And there was another side of it, too. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was young. But if you give someone the option to not buy 13 songs, we're not. We're going to buy them one at a time of what we like. Oh, do we like the next one? Oh, do we like the next one? Oh, we like the next one? Sure. And so you end up not buying every song unless it's your favorite artist. But Maren's record, I, yeah, I know all the songs, too. She's fantastic. She also is one of those artists, too. We have a pretty good text relation. I, I just have text. That's what I talk. I talk to everybody. Text. I don't like talking on the phone. Don't. I mean, I don't even talk to Lindsay on the phone. It's FaceTime or it's I'll see you at the, you know wherever. But Marin's so cool. Like, hey, I appreciate you not coddling me ever. I appreciate you like because she's real. Like as real yeah. as she seems. Yeah. That's her. Well, let me see. If there's anything else up here. Uh, how about a little with his hands, Ken Melons. <laughs> Well, you know about this. Do you like this one? That's one of my first cuts ever. That's like 1994. Yeah? He'll never be a lawyer? Come on. I think that might have been my first cut ever. He'll never be a lawyer. I Come on, is that coming back? Is that sound coming back? That's funny. For some, my theory is, and what's happening with the format musically is, country, first of all, is getting so big that it's going to turn into what Top 40 is. Now, not a style because Top 40 is always evolving. But what it's going to happen is country, as Top 40 has done, Top 40 has the the couple best pop songs, all the couple best hip-hop songs, a couple best rock songs, and that's the, the mesh that is Top 40. Country's going to be the same way. You're going to have a couple of the best guys that sound classic, the classic country sound. You're going to have a couple of the guys that sound way progressive, like the Sams of the world. You're going to have a couple of the females. And it's, there are going to be all these little lanes, and it's going to be the top couple to three of each lane is going to be what makes it onto the country radio They've on the format. They've been predicting that for a while. No, no, but it's happening now. Splitting the format. Well, they're not going to split it right now. They're, they've split it into two in the last few years of older mm-hmm. with the Legends and Icon brand. They have yeah. older stations. And what's funny is older stations are awesome. Like, it's like the good stuff, you know, the 90s stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not even like the 50s stuff because they had classic country stations. But now these older stations are 90s and some 80s and a little early 2000s. And those are like my favorite of the stations. I'm going to be honest. Do you have my Randy Travis cut on there? Mm, yeah. Here it is. Here, hold on. Here's Lee's Randy Travis cut. You want to set it up? It's, just, it's one of the only ones I ever heard that when the, they called me into the label to play it for me. Starbucks be filling up my cup. Starbucks yeah. be jacking right. me up. I was going to say, Starbucks it made me cry when I heard it. You know, well, what's the you, see. Uh, you know what? You, you stumped us on uh, Did one. I stump you? Yeah, it's you did. The family Bible and the Farmer's Almanac. I don't have that one. It's my only Randy Travis cut, but ooh, I got one. My is my grandma's favorite artist. Oh, Randy so Travis, funny. Johnny Cash, because he was from Arkansas. So this is what rubbed off on me. You know, when, what your parents listen to, and I have a strong parental system, so my grandma did a lot of the raising of me. And so my grandma was my mom, basically. Even adopted me for a while as a kid. But she, it was Johnny Cash. She was from Arkansas. And to, if you're from Arkansas, people from Arkansas that make it, they're your heroes. So it was Johnny And she would tell me stories about how people would protest Johnny Cash because that's not country. That's rock and roll. And people would be out just furious. It just reminds me of what people are doing on blogs now about what's happening in country music. Yeah. Everything's cyclical, sure. every, constantly. Sure. That, Randy Travis, Ray Charles, and Andy Griffith gospel albums. 
I mean, I don't listen to all. I mean, all that. I hear it, and it makes me love my grandma so much. But That's then great. I just remember being so just annoyed. Like, can we please listen to something else? And on, on records, but it, now I appreciate it. Then I was like, is this all we got? You know, I was a teenager through all the great '80s music, all that great '80s pop music, and uh, I was listening to Gene Watson and Alabama, and and even now we'll be somewhere and some, you know amazing song from 1985 will come on somewhere in some Prince song or, or some band that I've never even heard of. There was a huge hit and my wife will know every word and she'll say, do you seriously not know this song? And she'll, and she'll, this was probably the theme to your prom. And I'm like, I was listening to Gene Watson, babe. I'm sorry. So just to recap, we have lots of good songs and you're pretty funny. You did a lot of show prep, too. I'm impressed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing I do. This is like my profession. You know how you write songs today? Yeah. That's what you do? That's kind of what I do. You look tired when I came in. I'm tired all the time. When have I ever not looked tired? Are you tired all the time, but you never sleep? Is there any way these are are combined? That's why I'm always tired. Uh, You'll text me at 10 o'clock, and I'm like, you've got to get up like now. Yeah. But if I didn't do what I loved... I wouldn't be able to do it like this. I love what I do. Just like you love what you do. Why were you dressed like an elf last week? Uh, I wasn't, was I? Was I like an elf last week? For something. You were somewhere doing a... Sure, it wasn't like a Brad Pitt Us Weekly cover or something? It was either you or Brad Pitt dressed like an elf doing something in somewhere because you're gone all the time. You were because you sent me back something funny about being an elf. I don't know. There's a lot of days ago. Well, I appreciate you coming in and sharing your stories. They're good ones. Are they good? Yeah, they're good. Uh, my favorite one you didn't tell. I want you to tell this one. In a, if a normal story is 100%, tell this at 120% rate because we're running out of time. You go up. Does that mean tell it fast? No. It's, and I don't even want to give any sort of uh, spoiler here. But tell the story about how the, the soup. I'll just say the soup and let you tell the story. The Soup. Yeah, the TV show, The Soup. And they make fun of you. Oh, so I... Uh, we get to our seats at the ACM Awards. I was so thinking we might win for... Uh, because, again, I had two two songs up for Song of the Year at the ACMs in Vegas. And I get to my seat, and we're on the 20th row in the middle. Right? And Talk Soup, that's what you're saying. Yeah. And um, Oh, yeah, it's not called The Soup. It used to be called Talk okay, Soup. Okay, yeah. so... Um, I'm like, we're not going to win. There's no way we're going to win because there's no way they would put the winner here because it's terrible seats, right? And and I'm bummed and I'm like, oh, this is so depressing. And 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 uh, I'd kind of work through my mind because I always like to be prepared. If I if I, I don't want to, I'm not afraid to do public speaking, but I need to know what I'm going to say and just in case I win. So so then Jennifer Love Hewitt is giving the award away and she calls our name and we won in color one song of the year. And she calls my name, and I run, you know, I go down there, and I'm so pumped, I'm so excited, and I'm so nervous. And I'm on stage, I'm standing next to Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Jamie Johnson does his little spiel. And usually they don't give you much time, but they let Jamie speak, and then they let James speak, and so then I step up. And in front of all the world on national television, I said, I want to thank my wife. I want to thank my kids. Levi, Noah, Levi. No, that's not right. Everybody laughs. So then I continued my speech. I walk off stage. I'm nervous. I'm freaking out. And the next morning, um, the soup people were doing the, the Yahoo Entertainment Clip of the Week. And it was like 
8.30 the next morning. It's everywhere, right? Country Music Awards were held last night in Las Vegas, Nevada. Check this guy out. That's me. I want to I, I thank my wife. I want to thank my kids. Levi, Noah, Levi. No, that's not right. This guy is so country. He has not one, but two kids named Levi. <laughs> hey, yeah. Mike, any questions before we jump? You good? Yeah. All of it squeezed out? Yeah, I learned a lot. Lee Thomas Miller. That's his name. I just call him. Hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for the stories. All right, so that's episode 25. Thanks for hanging out here on the Bobbycast. Hope you learned a little something, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys. <laughs>